Welcome to Media Path. I am Louise Palenker. And I'm Fritz Coleman. We are here to grab you by the hand and take you down a path filled with compelling content that captures, fascinates, and entertains you. Books, movies, music, series, podcasts. We are going to kick things off by learning what Fritz has been consuming and enjoying this week. You know, I'm a big rock and roll fan, and there's a new book about Hendrix coming out on the 15th of September called Wild Thing, The Short Spellbinding Life of Jimi Hendrix. It's by Philip Norman. Uh, This is the 50th anniversary of his death, which just blows the top of my head off. And this book covers everything from his poverty-stricken Seattle upbringing through the white-hot fame to his early demise from rock and roll excess. Now, it goes without saying there have been many books written about Hendrix, but Philip Norman is one of the most respected biographers in the rock and roll genre. He's written about John Lennon and Mick Jagger and Eric Clapton and Elton John and Buddy Holly. And as far as I'm concerned, you can never get too much information or perspective on one of the greatest guitarists of all time. Incidentally, this is totally coincidence because we had already planned this. One of the movie channels ran two uh, Hendrix docs in a row. One was a biographical documentary and the other was his performance at the Monterey Pop Festival, which transitioned him into megastar status. And you know a lot about the rock and roll business. Uh, The most interesting five minutes of that biographical documentary, the first one that aired, has sound clips from all of his friends and his dad was in it and everything. But the most interesting comments came from Eric Clapton and Pete Townsend, because before uh, Hendrix went to London with Chaz Chandler, who was with the Animals and really created his stardom in London and then brought him back to the United States, Eric Clapton was God. As a matter of fact, people spray painted that on the subway in London. Clapton is God because they deemed him the greatest guitar player of all time. And they didn't deem Pete Townsend that, but he thought he was. So Clapton <laughs> and Pete Townsend thought they were the greatest guitar players. And a really honest and intimate moment was both of these guys were talking about how intimidated they were by Hendrix when he came to town and started to get some notoriety. And then, of course, it ends with the great pivotal Monterey Pop Festival thing where he sets the guitar on fire and people are looking at him like, oh, my God, are we seeing Satan or or God or what are we seeing here? It was really interesting. Now, uh, you you spent a lot of time in the rock and roll business, Weeze. I'm sure you're going to love that, that book. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Now, if you like... Cold War spy thrillers, I do. Even when you know the outcome, these are well-written books. This is a hot one. It's called The Spy and the Traitor. It's by a a writer by the name of Ben McIntyre, who's like the key guy in this genre. I'm going to put his website up there. He's got a whole bunch of books in this same genre. And this is really interesting, especially in light of everybody's feelings about our connection to the Russians now, or alleged connection to the Russians now. This one is the history of a Soviet spy who volunteers to help the British and the Americans understand the inner workings of the KGB. There are two characters. One is the KGB guy, Oleg Gordievsky, and the other is the CIA guy, which is a familiar name to Americans, Aldrich Ames, who turned out to be a double agent and was convicted of espionage and imprisoned back in 1994. It was in the headlines for a long time. And uh, I I think it's just fascinating. If you're interested in that, writing Ben McIntyre is one of the best. So two, two good books to read this week. And I know you have a movie. I can't wait to hear about it. 
Oh, I've got some stuff, Ritz. I, uh, I, as I was typing these up, I realized both of my picks this week are about twin girls. Wow. So tell me the universe doesn't speak to us. <laughs> <laughs> so we, I found a doc on Amazon, and it's just based on like, hey, you, you've watched other things, and you now you may like this. So and they, and it's like, oh my gosh, Amazon, you know me. So this one is called The Rain Man Twins, and it's from uh, a director called Dave Wagner. Uh, so it's Flo and Kay, and these are two twin girls. Usually twins come in twos, but in this case particularly. Flo and Kay remember every date, what they ate, every song, every artist. It's astounding. They are also uh, adorably obsessed with Dick Clark. The tagline is, wow. you'll never forget them, they'll never forget you. So the film is by Dave <laughs> Wagner, <laughs> a news guy. He's now, I looked him up, he's now at KIRO7 in Seattle. That's so a big he, television he, station. Yeah, he's, he's, <clears throat> great. he's so hosty, you're going to love him. So he's in Seattle, but uh, he received a call from the girls, and he quickly became obsessed with them, and he began filming them. So there's footage of that he picked up a camcorder. He kind of went places with them, took them places. Plug your ears, spoiler alert. But, like, he, they do meet Dick Clark, and uh, it's just absolutely precious. And uh, so if you're, if you're interested in how the mind works, because how do these girls know? Like, if you say to them, okay, September 30th, 1937, they'll go Tuesday, is that a computer chip or is that God speaking to them? Like, I, I just don't understand the human mind. It's so astounding. Yeah. The world was introduced to that with Rain Man. And uh, I, what I took away from that movie, and you and I have talked about this, if you have, and, and this shows up with kids on the autism spectrum too. Oh, they're, they, they be, are they, on the spectrum. Yes. They can be really good at, at one thing, and what happens is if there is uh, a, a bit of a, a struggle in one part of the brain, the other part of the brain sort of overachieves and overdevelops to make up for it, and so they become brilliant in one specific area. My friend owns uh, a company uh, that uh, works with autistic children, and they're very task-oriented. And so he went to all the major movie studios and has jobbed these kids out because they're very good at doing what they call tween work and animation. When they do animation, they'll do a frame and then another frame, but it's very meticulous filling in the artistic frames between them. And they have these kids that pour over this stuff for eight to 12 hours. They're all on the spectrum to one degree or another, and they're all very good at that. So I, it's a spectacular um, idea that two twins have the same sort of a setup and how they work in tandem. Yeah, their brains so. are, are set up pretty, pretty identically. It's absolutely fascinating. So also in the twin vein, I am reading a novel called The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. It's about two twin light-skinned black girls. One marries a dark black man and the other disappears into white culture. It's wow. a story about race and culture, examining what we value in ourselves and in others and why, and challenging us to look directly into our own racial bias and into the toxic consequences of systemic racism on communities and on individual lives. So it's a great piece of writing from Britt Bennett. I highly recommend this book. Really timely right now. Would you like and me to welcome our guests? Please do. I would love to do that. Please welcome John and Robin Barry. 
Hey guys. Hello. Hello. Thank you. So our ulterior motive is to introduce the world to your new podcast, which sounds awesome, but we want to learn a little about you first. Weezy, you shoot it. I'm going to read some stuff about him. And I got it from the internet, so you know it's true. (laughs) Oh, my. (laughs) (laughs) Grammy award-winning country star John Barry is celebrating 40 years as a performer and songwriter with his newest single, The Richest Man, from the new album, Thomas Road. In 2019, John heroically won a difficult battle with throat cancer. He charted in 2018 with the title track from the film Beautifully Broken. John first rose to stardom in the 90s with mega hits like Your Love Amazes Me. I've seen the seven wonders of the world I've seen the beauty of diamonds and pearls But they ain't nothing, baby Your love Well, so you have a beautiful voice, sir. Wow. He also hit with Standing on the Edge of Goodbye. I wasn't ready when she turned to me and said, I can't eat and I can't sleep. Sometimes I find it hard to breathe. I break down and cry, not knowing why. Now I can't lie. I'm standing on the and she's taken a shine. Since that Jesse's been coming to the diner, folks are saying that she's never looked fine. She's got a different edge. She's taken a shine to him. Coming the woman that she's never his annual Christmas tours brighten the holidays for thousands, as does his electrifying rendition of Oh Holy Night, My Favorite Christmas Carol. John's co-pilot throughout his music achievements has been his wife, Robin, and they are now partnering on a new podcast project called Faith, Family, and Friends, where John and Robin sit around the kitchen table with their guests talking about the things that matter most. So can you tell us a little bit about your guests and those conversations? Well, we have uh, a lot of different folks join us. Now, it's a virtual coffee table, of course. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> Bring but, your own coffee. Well, well, yeah. we're at the coffee table. Most of our, typically, especially during this uh, COVID time, our guests are hopefully at their coffee, at their coffee table. Yeah. But we've had a, a, a two-time inductee into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Richie Foray. And oh, which yeah. was a real treat. We we've had Kim Campbell, um, the wife of the great Glenn Campbell. Yeah. The last interview with Charlie Daniels on Wednesday prior to his oh, passing uh, that weekend. Oh my God. And uh, Charlie was so, what a gracious man. I I've known Charlie for a long time, and uh, I was actually managed by his manager David Corlew for five years when I first came to Nashville, and I was on the early days of Capitol Records, and so we knew each other fairly well, and. But it was a wonderful opportunity to, to, to visit with him, unknowing, of course, uh, that just a few days later he would pass away. So, wow. But it's a wonderful interview. 65 minutes, and I don't think we'll edit a bit of it because it's so real and honest. And he he goes so in-depth into his faith with the Lord. And he, yeah. it's just, he brought us to tears. He had tears himself. And um, the one final question that I got to ask Charlie um, 
just, I, I asked him, I said, Mr. Charlie, I said, one day when you're in heaven with Jesus, how do you want people to remember you? Gives me chills thinking he, about it. And, it and just, she didn't think she was going to ask that question. I said, go ahead, ask it. We were almost getting ready to hang up. And uh, we almost said our goodbyes and everything else. And and she said, Mr. Charlie, one, one, one last question, if it's okay. And she asked him, it was, it was just, he just laid it out there. It was awesome. Yeah, but we've had... Um, just this week, we had the incredible opportunity to talk to um, Emmy-nominated uh, national correspondent for Inside Edition, Miss Megan Alexander, who is now a co-host on Coffee Country and Cody with Bill Cody. WSM uh, 6.50 AM. Yeah. The great WSM. Yeah. So we, we have had some incredible guests. We, we've had um, someone who I look up to Vince Dooley and his wife, Barbara Dooley. He is the legendary coach, was for years at the University of Georgia. He's known throughout all college football, primarily SEC football. We've had some great guests. Yeah, we sure have. Uh, it sounds really exciting. And it, it's interesting how much you learned from them. As we go through our lives and we step through our days, we have a lot of small talk with the people we encounter. But a a podcast compels you immediately into talking about really deep and meaningful topics. And you come away saying, I, I can't believe I now know that about these people. It's, it's, don't you find that to be so? I, I think podcast conversations, you're listening to what best friends talk about without them being best friends. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it, John. Very well yeah. said. Yeah, John, John really go... particularly enjoyed um, our conversation with Richie Perret, somebody that he has followed um, his career and his journey and and enjoyed that time period of music. And John was just like, wow, wow. <laughs> and just all the stories and the things that he learned about Richie. And now they've actually gone in uh, recently and, and cut a song together. Oh so my it's, it's kind of cool how you yeah. can really just connect with people through podcasting. Richie, Richie has an album coming out or songs that he loved throughout <laughs> his career. And one of those songs was Your Love Amazes Me that I recorded. And um, so, and long story short, they invited me to come and sing it with him. So that was oh, a real treat. You oh talked about uh, having Kim Campbell on there. I just want to add to the stories about Glenn. Uh, I'm, my background is comedy and I was a comic and I opened for Glenn in Palm Springs in one of the last live performances he did when Kim and his daughter and his son played with him on the band. Yeah. And he was physically okay, but they had to take care of him. He had to take a mm -hmm. nap between shows and go back to the hotel. But what I was stricken with was the devotion of this woman to the welfare of her husband when he was on stage and when he was off. All gentle questions, and when we wanted to engage him for a few minutes, she would control the amount of time, always being aware of, of his uh, state of mind. And I, I thought it would be impossible for there to be more love between a couple than I was watching with these two. And what was unbelievable was, you know, with all the Jimmy Webb hits he had, it was two hours of top 40 hits with no breaks in between. And occasionally he had to search for the lyrics and they had cards with the lyrics on a casing because that was when his dementia was really starting to be noticeable to everybody. But what never missed 
was his guitar playing. He was one of the great session guitarists of all time. Oh, yeah. yes. And he was precise and didn't miss a beat with his playing, with his words were slightly different. It was sad, but it was uh, miraculous to watch. And, I think uh, there's a lot of research that goes on even today uh, as they learn more about dementia um, as it relates to music. But, yeah. um, you know, Robin's mom's in a, a, a care facility uh, here in the Nashville area and music is a big deal to them. And you can see when they play music, they're singing songs that they haven't sung in years but they know the words. The music triggers so much memory. It harkens back to what Wheezy was talking about earlier, these mystical powers of the brain that we don't understand, but it sure is interesting. <laughs> yeah. really I tell crazy. you, our interview with Kim was, um, I didn't sleep for two nights before oh. interviewing her. I was a huge Glenn Campbell fan growing up. My very first album I ever owned was a Glenn Campbell album. I watched his TV shows as a kid and I was just enamored with his music growing up. So I read her book and I just felt so much compassion and love and just saw such a different side of her and his life. And I just, I kind of felt like I, I told her after I read her book, I just really wanted to go have coffee with her. I just <laughs> felt like I knew her and I was just nervous, you know, in, in speaking to someone who's just lived the life that she has lived. and 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 her soulmate and her husband being just somebody that i adored as a yeah. as a kid growing up was yeah, there that's, anything that's, that's, our, that's our two cents for what we're reading is, uh, <laughs> that's the name of her book is gentle on my mind okay oh. i will definitely read that i i'm obsessed with all of that and that's absolutely fascinating so tell us one thing you learned about glenn campbell in in your conversation with kim oh goodness well, she tells a great story um, about Glenn and um, the guy from the band you love so much, the drummer, Mick Fleetwood. Oh, yes. <laughs> Fleetwood Mac. Yes. Yeah. Uh, she tells a great story there. But I think for both of us, um, when we were interviewing her, it was an incredible reminder of what a long, beautiful full of awards this guy he has had oh. a long long mm -hmm. career and he has done many many different things and he was well known for his songwriting his singing his performing his guitar playing he just was just really a well accomplished man he really and was. not a stretch to say she came into his life at the end. He'd been married a couple times before, and not a stretch to say she saved his life. She got him back on track from his addictions and nursed him back to health and gave him self-esteem and got his band up and functioning again. Uh, yeah. what a, it's, it was a, a divine intervention. What, what did she um, call the years between his addiction and then when the They were married started. for 34 years. And um, she, she said, we had 15 great years. And that was the 15 years between when he got sober and when he got diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah, what a lot of people don't know about Glenn Campbell is we maybe remember some of the struggles, but he basically raised himself. He was a, he was a child prodigy on the guitar and he left just so that he could live. He knew that he could make a living with his guitar and he had to get out of... Yes. Uh, he had to get out of that home and he he was a survivor. You know, so you just don't have the opportunity in normal conversations 
saying hello at award banquets or different things to learn these types of things. But when you do a podcast like what we're doing with you folks, you get have an opportunity to talk about things that are much, uh, much more meaningful and deep and deep. Yeah, I would love to hear the story of how you two met. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, I'll let him tell this story. <laughs> Let's see if he tells it right. Well, it was, <laughs> well you're it was here to correct him. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was mid-80s, Athens, Georgia, and my, my, my bass player, Michael Steele, Mike and I were playing at this little club in Athens. Athens is a college town. University of Georgia is there. And we're playing there. It was our first, maybe our second week playing there. And these two girls came in with their dates and sat at the table right in front of us. And one of those girls was really pretty. <laughs> I don't remember the other one. one of them oh, really <laughs> but I knew exactly what songs to bore their date their dates to death. So they go to the back and play pool. And when they did, we took a break. And I sat down next to that pretty girl. And the first thing I ever said to her, I said, when are we getting married? Wow. Whoa, you've got strategy and game. That's and no, that I is didn't have serious. That. She's like, you're talking to the hand. Don't talk to me. It took me two years to get a date. Took two years, and uh, we never dated. Actually, we went on a few dates, and I went back away to college. And um, I, he was driving me crazy. I mean, he'd call me five or six times a day, and he'd send me flowers every week. And I thought, this guy's crazy. I'm, so I stalker. Yeah, I came home from uh, from college and Christmas on Christmas break, break and. I was like, I'm telling this guy to quit calling me. And so I got out of the car and I didn't tell him. And we saw each other every day, Christmas break. And New Year's Eve, he asked me to marry him. Never said, Aww. will you date me? I love you. Nothing. Will you marry you me? you got to have a plan. I so, support that, John. So, John, <laughs> what I want to know, John, is how were you so certain about this specific girl because it sounds like once you set your mind to something you get something done i don't know there's just there's just something about her just called my name oh please just something whispered my name john! <laughs> let's go back to the beginning of your career john you have an interesting story to tell about a song you wrote called the graduation song when you were 17 uh, uh, which was a song for your own graduation, I'm guessing. But that thing has now had a history of its own, that song. Tell us about it. Well, I, I wrote it my spring, my senior year. Um, I, I didn't actually play it at my graduation. It's just something I wrote for myself. And uh, I ended up recording it on a record a few years later. And um, I can't actually remember what record I put it on. But I did it's on one of my in, early independent records. And... Um, but I wrote it in spring of 1977. And um, then this past spring with the uh, COVID shutdown and all the graduations being canceled. And, you know, uh, our son, Kalen, who plays drums with us, he's 24. He said, Dad, he said, I bet they're going to cancel high school and college graduations. I said, there's no way. <laughs> and he said, he said, you watch. And he said, and if they do, he said, we ought to consider going back and re-recording that old song of yours and just put it out there just to celebrate all those who have, are going to have this unheralded achievement. And um, so sure enough, it came down, they got canceled. And so we recorded it in, in a most unique way. We used all the guys that we play on the road with and everybody recorded their parts at home and emailed them in and 
he helped me put them all together and it was really cool process because yeah. our son Kalen he is also John's drummer full-time and he just he heard the song in a different way than John originally had recorded it and of course that was back in 1977 so it was a little yeah. dated we're freshened it up a bit <laughs> so it was very cool to just redo the song in a fresh new way and we're gonna Robin, play a little yeah, a little snip of it here is uh Robin had the idea we're doing this little video and we had we had friends from all over the world contribute photos of their graduating seniors. Oh, wow. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. To all the times in PE, to all the parties that we threw, to driving the teachers crazy, but now it's nothing new. To all the times we came in late and they never said a word. And to all the world religions that we learn in history class To all the great musicians that lived in the past To all the world's great artists from Da Vinci to Saray It's time for me to go my way Thank you, Thomas. That is that is gorgeous. That's absolutely gorgeous. And so you went back to a school to film to film some of the shots in the school that we, was empty. Uh, we we live here in Gallatin, Tennessee, and mm -hmm. uh, the folks at Gallatin High School offered to let us come and shoot some generic scenes throughout the school, and mm -hmm. that was pretty cool. That brought probably brought back a lot of memories. I know it did for me just walking through the halls of a school that I wasn't familiar with. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't go to school there, but. Just, you know, it, it brings back a lot of cool memories. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, are you, do you allow people to use your song to create their own montages and, and, and post them? Oh, sure. Yeah, people do it all, all the time. There's a lot of them online. If you search my name online, you, there's a lot of different videos people put together of their weddings or. Oh, yeah. Will things. You Marry Me? There's oh, a, yeah. a ton of montages um, to John's song, Will You Marry Me? People have used it for their weddings, and there's some great wedding videos out there. How does it feel to know that you have the ability to create something that resonates so deeply and touches, you know, the, the most intimate part of being human in, in people? I, I think that's one thing we were talking about earlier today about how cool it is to because music is is used in so many events in our lives that are very personal, like weddings or graduations, things that, that really mean a lot to us. And so to be a part of that is uh, it's a pretty cool thing. It's, it's really uh, quite a, uh, can be quite emotional. You, uh, I think it was your first studio album, Thomas Road. Was that your first? No, oh, that's his latest. Oh, it's la I beg your pardon. So tell me about Thomas Road, because that's where you were born and raised in Georgia, and you referenced Georgia well, a lot. Well, earlier. I moved there when what, I was a was... kid. We moved uh, oh. away from Aiken, I live, originally from Aiken, South Carolina, but moved to Thomas Road when I was about eight years old, uh, seven years old, and uh, lived there for those years, those formative years, going through elementary high school and getting started into high school, you know, and I'm sorry, elementary school going into high school. 
and uh, uh, had made great friendships. Brian, Sam, and Jeff, the four of us, were pretty inseparable, and and uh, just you know, you, you start to discover things about yourself, and, and 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 I fell in love with music growing up on Thomas Road, and and um, that's where I learned to play the guitar. Is where I first started playing. That's when we lived there. Just meant a lot to me, and it was a it was a cool little place, cool little street to grow up on. Other musicians in the family? Uh, my brother Scott sang opera for many years. Wow! And uh, he he lives in New York City still. He lives in Queens, and and uh, uh, he lived in Germany for many years studying opera in, in Italy. And um, uh, so my sister Susan had a lovely voice. She never sang professionally, but she did have a lovely voice as, as well as my mom. Well, Fritz, we're going to take a break for a moment because we have ad copy that we need to read. Are you ready? Let's do it. Winning season returns at my bookie. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means survivor super contests and squares. At my bookie, it's time to celebrate the NFL season. Sign up now and make your first deposit to get a dollar for dollar match all the way up to $1,000 and grab yourself a free entry into the famed MyBookie Super Contest. To play in the contest, all you have to do is pick five NFL games against the spread to have a chance at 100 thousands of guaranteed in-cash prizes. The best part is MyBookie has thousands of bets to choose from. The full NFL slate and the NBA playoffs from live betting to championship futures. Every play you want to make is waiting at MyBookie. It's simple. Make your picks, win big, collect your cash, use promo code THINGS, and double your first deposit now. It's a no-brainer. Your winning season begins today only at MyBookie. I'm big into fantasy badminton. Are I'm you? picking my teams now. Are you picking your teams? Mm -hmm. All right, I'm going to Hey, uh, uh, John, uh, I... Uh, I'm always fascinated by these stories that you hear from not only country artists, but any kind of a performer that goes to the town where you have to go to make it, and then the process of being discovered. You go to Nashville, uh, you have to play the coffee houses, you have to try to draw attention to yourself. Describe that process in a market that's getting really crowded down there with would-be stars. How's it work? Well, mine was completely different. Um, ah. I played I played clubs in Athens, Georgia, for eight years. Um, Long enough that he should have a doctorate or yeah, something, something, you know, useful. But yeah. but I was driving home. We were Rob and I lived out in the country. We it built us a little place out out about eighteen miles out of town. And uh, I was driving out there one night, driving home after playing a club in Athens. And DJ said, "Here's a brand new song from Joe Diffie. Y'all turn it up." I turn. I love Joe Diffie. I turned the radio up, and he sang this song called "Ships That Don't Come In." Mm. And in the chorus, he said, "And those who stand on empty shores and spit against the wind, and those who wait forever for ships that don't come in." And it hit me like a freight train. Great line. And it's like for the very first time, I thought, "Well, maybe, maybe I'll, all I'll ever do is be a real, you know, a, a big fish in the little small pond of Athens, Georgia." And I got home and I woke Robin up and through tears, I told her about Joe's song and I told her I've dreamed bigger than this. Uh, so we sat up pretty much all night and we came up with a plan to go to Nashville every six weeks and do an industry showcase. We had an industry showcase list from one of the uh, licensing organizations, BMI, ASCAP, one of those folks. And we were going to send out invitations every six weeks and go do a showcase. And we set up our first one for, this was a, in May 
after hearing the Joe Diffie song in February. So we go to do this showcase in Nashville in May and we sent out 250 invitations and nobody on that list came except one guy. We had a few a few friends from town there. We had nine people in the audience. Yeah, it, it was a, just a little, oh, just one of those good. little showcase rooms, you know. And and uh, but this one guy came. This guy named Herky Williams, and Herky had come to Athens, Georgia. He had come to Athens, Georgia, to hear a band play, and he came by to see us play that night because his sister had come. She would come see us play a lot, and she said, "You got to go by and see John Barry while you're in town." Well, he came by there three times that night. And there was a line down the street. He could never could get in. So when he got the invitation that we were coming to town, he was he was there first in line to get in, get a table. And uh, not that there was a scare you know scare seats or anything, <laughs> no. but but uh, but he uh, enjoyed the heck out of it. And afterwards, he said, "Let's go get some breakfast." So we went out and had a late night breakfast. And then uh, the next morning, he calls me up. Hey, he said, "What are you doing for lunch?" Jimmy Bowen wants you to come over and have lunch. Jimmy Bowen is the was the president of Capitol Records. Yeah, Jimmy Bowen, who produced some Frank Sinatra records, and I, yeah, I'm sure you're familiar with Jimmy. Mm-hmm. So I said, "Well, uh, we're already back in Athens, Georgia. <laughs> we left after after we ate last night. We headed back home." And he's like, "Oh my gosh!" So they set up a private showcase to to come up and do a, a private showcase for Jimmy about two weeks later, and we went up there and played about five songs, I guess, and. Uh, after we got finished up, we sat and talked with Jimmy for a few minutes. He goes, well, I guess you came up here looking for a record deal, didn't you, son? I said, yes, sir, I did. He said, uh, he turned to David Corley, who was Charlie Daniels' manager. He said, you going to manage this kid? He said, uh, yes, sir, I am. He said, well, have your people call my people. Let's get this done. And with wow. that, he was out the door. So that's the only showcase I ever did was the one that turned into the private for, for Jimmy Bowen. And you and had is. some regional hits in Georgia and the Carolinas before that anyway, right? Yes. Oh, sure. Yeah, we played we, we played in Athens and had a huge, huge following in Athens, Georgia for many years. And won some contests. Yeah, I was in the Marlboro Country Music Talent Roundup in Georgia. And won Star that a couple Search. Years. I was on Star Search one time with Ed McMahon. And I lost Holy to an cow. insurance salesman from Texas who sang Georgia <laughs> on my mind. Go figure. Oh uh, my gosh, that is the, the, pre, just... the precursor to America's Got Talent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, talk about how the Nashville community is uh, helping one another through through the pandemic. You guys are tight. Well, we saw firsthand how tight the Nashville community music community can be. Last year, when I was uh, just finished up my treatments for for cancer, for throat cancer. Um, we kept getting calls. My manager, Brian Smith, kept getting calls from all these artists going, what can we do to help John and Robin? They got to, you know, uh, haven't worked in months. I got to have some needs that we can help with, just different things. And and uh, I kept going, no, 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 no. We don't, we don't need to do anything. And finally, Brian said, enough, we're going to do so. They went to uh, this wonderful City venue, Winery. the City Winery in Nashville, and they were thrilled to host the night. And I just couldn't believe the people who came. Hey, you're going to have to help me here. I know uh, Garth and Trisha showed up. Uh, Vince Gill was there. Um, Travis Tritt, who I just dearly love, was there. Uh, the was, list, go, I mean, the list is wow. huge. Jimmy Messina was there. Yeah. Um, I, got, I got a guitar. One of the guitars over here from the Doobie Brothers, they were rehearsing in town and weren't able to get to the show, but they sent me an acoustic guitar they signed. And, 
and and then we have a poster and a, a guitar signed by all the guests that yeah, were there. Yeah, it, it was it was incredible. Clint um, Black showed up. Yeah, it it was huge, and to to feel that love, Nashville is that way. They support their people. Yeah. Um, you know, we even just the guy Luke Bryan could not come, but we got the most personal, lovely note from he and his wife with yeah. a big old check, and we just yeah. we were. So grateful, so overwhelmed. We're overwhelmed. Um, Even people outside the business, when you watch award shows and and, uh, others, you realize that I think the most undying fans of any music genre are country fans, and the reverse of that is true. It seems like country artists appreciate their fans more than anybody. At least those are the emotions they show when they get awards and those kinds of things. Well, they do, and they also appreciate each other. There's a, there's Mm -hmm. a, there's great, there's a. Uh, of course, it, it's competitive business, and everybody wants to do well. And it can be competitive, but when it comes down to it, there's a lot of people in this town that care about a lot of other people. And uh, that you know, during this pandemic, you, it's amazing how many when somebody does an, a live a live event online and and they um, they'll do things for tips. Is how many other artists are cross promoting their their friends, yeah. you know, who are doing events and stuff. There, so their fans will see what this you know this artist friend of theirs is doing and. A lot of cross promoting of the of each other's live events, so everybody gets a chance to to be helped out and and because uh, it is a it's, a, it's an is it is it is the word unprecedented been used too much? I don't know. It's very <laughs> not strange. for you. Go our, ahead and use it. <laughs> our business has just you know we, we were talking today. We we've, we've had three shows all year, and we you know that's our livelihood. That's how we make a living is going on the road. Um, with the way streaming and all of that is now, there's you can't make a living off of writing music. It's hard. So artists like us make a living on the road. And so Nashville has changed, and it's it's really hit our musicians, and um, it's it's been sad uh, to see what has happened. We're ready to get back out there and play for people, and they're like, "Why aren't you coming?" Well, the venues aren't open, and you know, or you can't go into a thousand seat venue and play for 150 people because of all the mandates with with separation and social, so, distancing. social distancing. So it's it's really hit our com- yeah. our music community. Yeah, the musicians, hard. the road musicians have had a hard time because whenever like if we were out on the road with our band and then we'd come home and we're home for three or four weeks. Well, those guys and our band would go play at a lot of the places in town and pick up one hundred fifty dollars, two hundred dollars. Things like that, playing different nights during the week with diff- all these different friends of theirs, and now none of that work exists. So, you, you've been doing the, these wonderful Christmas concerts on the road for 24, 25 years. Maybe it's too early to tell, but is is that going to go away this Christmas, which would be sad? No, we uh, we have we're counting pretty much that we're going to have ten shows. We normally do between twenty and twenty five. This year it looks like it's going to be ten, and those ten are look like they're going to hold. Our hope is, is that as October comes and 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 some venues may get some clearances to open, that we might be able to add a, a show or two, uh, and uh, so we'll get our 24th season off. It'll be a little shorter than it normally ha- normally has been, but we'll get um, we'll get a good number of dates in. And we're trying to be creative too. Um, in uh, we're probably going to be filming the show this year, and then we'll be able to put it out live in certain zip codes and and partner with people so that 
folks around the country can see the Christmas show this year. We're working on that. You know, in, in we're all creative people, musicians and entertainers. And so if you can't go out on the road and do your work, you know, you got to you find other ways to do it and to be creative and get to do what you love. And so we're trying to do that by exploring new avenues of getting our Christmas show out there to people. Yeah, I think we're streaming. it's interesting to see this kind of like dichotomy of how much we're shut down and opened up at the same time. Because we're yeah. learning that, you know, distance isn't isn't ordinarily, maybe I would wait to book you guys until you were in LA. <laughs> and now I'm speaking to you right now. So we're, we're, we're getting outside of our, our whatever technical limitations that we lived within, and we're reaching more people uh, in, in ways that I think will strengthen us once we're back, once we're back and operational, fully operational once again. You know, we're all learning during this time period. Yes, we are. It's not just us. It's all avenues of, of um, everything. I even, even in talking to the, the dry cleaner today, he was talking about how his business has slowed down. He said, well, people aren't going to work. They're not going out. They mm -hmm. don't need their clothes cleaned. So it's, it's not just it entertainers. Everybody. It affects so many people. How many players do you take on the road, say, for your Christmas tour, John? Um, typically, seven. there's you know, seven of us on stage, yeah. And Robin, you're part of the band too? I am. I started uh, singing with John um, as his backup singer about two years after we had been married. And uh, it just was something that worked. And yeah. um, it's been great for our family, for our relationship. And well, let's talk about The Richest Man. This is your, your latest single, correct, John? Uh, yeah, it's, the it's, off, it's off of Thomas Road, a song I wrote with Liz Hingber and Will Robinson. And on the, in the video and in the description on YouTube, you write, you write, it is with a grateful heart for a dad that loved me and showed me what was important in life that I dedicate this work to my father, Jim Barry, and to other fathers that walked before and after him, that strove to make their children's lives full and rich in what mm -hmm. really mattered, faith, family, and friends. We're going to play a little bit of that right now. Thought he had it all A hundred foot yacht he loved to show off Had the whole wide world at his beck and call Yeah, I knew a man thought he had it all Thank you, Thomas. And you, and John Barry has a YouTube page, which we can uh, direct you to because there's a lot of the a lot of great stuff on there in a in body of work that's so impressive. You just have such a gift with melody and lyrics and and message. It's your work is really really meaningful, and you must hear from people that that tell you how a certain song touched them or how they thought you must have written it just for them. Oh, sure. 
Yeah, we, we, we do get uh, a lot of different letters from people or, or comments when we get to visit with people. Um, I think one of the coolest things that we ever had happen is we had a, we received a letter from these two ladies and they had become dear friends because their children, one of those, uh, one of the ladies, her son had gotten engaged to the other lady's daughter. And uh, this young couple were uh, in their mid thirties at this time. So they weren't young, young couple. But um, but the reason we got the we got the letter from these these two moms got together and wrote us this letter to talk about their two children and and their relationship and how they met and how each one of them had really given up on the possibility of finding that special someone and get married and they had uh, resigned themselves to living a life solitary kind of life and um, so when they did find each other your love amazes me was a song that was a huge impact song if you will in their relationship and we happened to be coming to town it was in um i want to i want to say it was somewhere around calgary calgary <laughs> alberta uh canada and um but where, wherever the town was they wanted to let us know that they were going to be there both uh, the young couple, the moms, and both all the families were going to be there. And uh, so they wow. wanted to be uh, experience. They wanted to come experience John Barry and find out why this couple loved this, loved him so much. And so they all came and we read the letter to the audience. <laughs> and we got the couple to come up since we were not going to be able to be at their wedding. We invited the couple to come up on stage and have a dance with us. And they did. And it was quite a moment. Wow. Oh, wow. That's so Well, sweet. the reviewers feel the same way they did. Here's a clip. I never tire of hearing of this fundamental treatment of country music, says one reviewer. Few have the heart and soul to deliver it like this guy. That pretty much says it all. That is... I'm I'm a, I'm a big fan of iconic theaters, uh, John. To me, oh, yeah. working in a theater that's been around a long time, that's had a lot of performances emanate from the stage, is like a religious experience for me. So you and your 70 performances on the Grand Ole Opry, tell me what the first time in that experience is like. Oh, wow. First time was at the uh, Ryman Auditorium, and uh, it was in the winter when they had moved <clears> it to the... Uh, they, they moved the Opry to the Ryman during the winter months um, instead of playing at the Opry House. I, I don't know if they do that anymore, but for a long time they did do that. And uh, so our very first time uh, playing the Grand Ole Opry, Porter Wagner was the host. Matter of fact, I've got the book, I've got the booklet downstairs on the shelf. Yep. Downstairs, I was looking at it just the other day. And uh, I got the program for the show. And, uh, but Robin and I were standing on the side of the stage and, and it was sort of a last minute invitation. I don't know if they had a, had a cancellation. It wasn't something that was on our schedule. But anyway, we're standing there on the side of the stage and Porter Wagner's out on stage getting ready. He's talking about something. And Robin, she squeezes my hand. She goes, is this real? <laughs> and about that time, Porter Wagner goes, yo, welcome John Barry. And I turned to look at her and I said, baby, it just got real <laughs> <laughs> and we walked out on stage and porter was so nice and and uh and we did a couple of songs and i think that night they asked us to do one more it was really a nice moment and 
it was just really a real treat. Do you have any special memories of that night? Or? Wow, it, it was a, quite overwhelming. And then to, to be asked to do one extra song, which on the Opry is a big deal because mm -hmm. everything has got time constraints and you're running on and you're running off. But um, to be asked if you would please do another song. I mean, that was such a huge deal. And, and every time that we get to to be on that stage and together get to be on that stage, it is a moment. It's something that you never get tired of. It's fresh and new and beautiful. It's it's an amazing time. It's a very, very special place for us and for, for all people that love country music. When it, I'm sure a lot of your viewers are familiar with the Grand Ole Opry and, and some of them may not be too familiar with the history of it. But when they opened the Opry House, where the where the, the home of the Grand Ole Opry now resides, they cut out a section of the floor of the Ryman Auditorium yeah, stage. Nice big circle. Big circle. And so anytime you hear somebody talk about standing in the circle, that's what that is. Is you're the they that that section of stage that they cut out of the Ryman Auditorium stage is sits right at the center stage of the opera house so that same section of stage where hank williams stood and and all the stars before them you know all the opera stars for Patsy so many Klein. years Patsy Klein, uh, many pearl and you know all those great great stars stood on that spot and uh, it's it's a pretty cool moment anytime we have friends that come we'll sneak them out on stage when the curtain's down and get a picture <laughs> with them standing in the circle it's oh, a big wow. deal and if yeah. you ever come and, and can come early, take the circle tour. It's a tell them about the the. the it's movie. amazing. It's a 4D experience, um, and uh, Garth and Tricia are the host of it, um, virtual, and it is so well done. It's an incredible tribute to the history of the Grand Ole Opry. We're, it is we're quite the experience. We're sitting there watching this thing, and, and it's a film, and we got tears running down it's our face. Incredible. And the projection of Garth and Tricia on the circular screen, you swear they're standing there. Yeah, it's it's awesome. Quite amazing. Very wow. well done. Wow. And I think when you're when you're standing on, on the stage at the opera, you must feel the energy of all the people who maybe saved up for years and never and never really believed they'd actually be there. And it yeah. just it just pulses, you know, through the building, and it's it's unlike just going to a concert in your town. I think oh, people yes. have come from all over, and they've dreamed of this their whole lives, and then there they are, and you can feel it when you're up there, I would imagine. Well, the backstage camaraderie is so unique to any performance from our aspect, because when you walk in, you know there's about 15 dressing rooms, and each dressing room is named and has decor according to its name and everyone leaves their door open there's music cascading all through the halls you can walk into anybody's dressing room and visit with them and join in and it's it's the backstage experience as an artist is truly incredible wow i know you guys must have seen summer all of the ken burns documentary on country what did you think of that did you see it we saw it's pretty pretty yes, amazing we yeah. yes we did yeah I, I, incredible 
that is a treat. It's something you can watch over over and over again. Marty Stewart knows a lot about country history. Oh, yes, he really does. <laughs> Holy cow, he's played with everybody he's, in country. Yeah, yeah. Marty Stewart is sort of the undesignated designated historian. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love your story about playing with Johnny Cash and, and yeah. you know, when he was a young man, a really young man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he has been playing with um, those icons and legends since he was a young fella, and he has got a lot of stories. Even married one of them. Yes, <laughs> that's right, Miss right. Connie Smith. <laughs> so I want you know, to talk you, about... You, you, go, I'm so sorry. Go I just want to, uh, before we go, I want to make sure I talked about Beautifully Broken, because this is a, a song that you wrote for, for a film, correct? I didn't write it for the okay. film. I, I, I did record it. It was written... Um, Jenny... Slate, Jenny Slate, Lee. Jenny okay. Slate Lee wrote the song, and she is a she is a, a, a lives here in Gallatin where we live, and we we've never met. But Chuck Howard, who produced all the songs I had on the radio over the years, uh, he in recent years has been producing these wonderful faith based inspirational films, and he heard this song, and they, they actually the movie was near nearing completion. And they didn't have, they just had a working title. They knew that whatever the title was, was not going to be the ongoing title, the final title. And when he heard the song Beautifully Broken, he said, that's oh, wow. it. That's the name of the movie. And um, so he sent me a rough cut of the movie. And he, along with that, he said, watch this rough cut. I'll get you the song tomorrow and let you hear it. But let me know what you think. And I don't know if you've ever seen a rough cut of a movie it's real before, rough. but there's no yeah. sound track at all. It's just film and dialogue. It's kind of, yeah. it's kind of you know, kind of, yeah. it doesn't have a lot of color, if you know what I mean. And um, so I'm watching it, and Robin's in the other room watching stuff on TV, and I come walking out an hour and a half later, and I'm carrying the laptop, and I got tears in my eyes. She goes, what's wrong? And all I could do is point to the screen. She said, oh, my gosh, really? She said, you need to call Chuck right now. So I called Chuck, and I told him, I said, you know, I haven't heard the song, but you, you obviously know if I can sing it or not. So if you think I can sing it, I'm in. He said, I, I felt that if me singing the song would encourage anyone to see the film, I, I, I would like to do that. And then the next day I heard the song and I was like, wow, you gotta be kidding me. What oh. a beautiful, beautiful song. All right, let's take a listen. Every tear, every doubt, every time you're down and out, when you're hurt, feeling shame, Oh, you're numb and all your pain When you think you've lost your way Or oh, you're too far gone to pray He's still waiting there to say You're beautifully broken thrilled with the way it came out oh yeah i was i, I felt they did a ter just a great job producing the track and uh, i was just really 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 happy to get to sing that song in the movie well you've got I, I don't want us to leave without me asking you a question john if you'll permit me how is your health how, how are you doing i'm doing pretty good yeah your doing treatments well. are done yeah I, i'll it, go for a, a checkup in october i think it's the next one 
Yeah, and praise the Lord. I mean, he is just, his voice is as big and great as ever. And well, uh, that, you know, that's it's, it's, just what I wanted to say. The, the yes. sad irony that you were inflicted with this particular type of cancer with the gift you have must have been hard for you to reconcile in your soul for a long time. But I got to tell you, I hope you have many more years with that beautiful high tenor voice. I know comparisons aren't always accepted well by some people, but I, I just think of Vince Gill, people that sort of float through the air with that high voice. You have yeah. a spectacular gift there, and I hope you're able to use it for a long time. Thank you, I appreciate it, very kind. It was just such sure, a joy sure to have the two of you with us on our show. Thank you so much for, for joining us. I'm gonna, is there anything that we need to mention before I read the closing credits? Let's mention the name of the podcast that we're going to do again. Okay. Uh, Faith, Family, and Friends. And where do we find it? It'll be on at johnberry.com. It'll be on the homepage there and with all the information on subscriptions. Okay, wonderful. Good uh, luck with it, you guys. Thank you so much. We uh, really appreciate y'all having us. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Absolutely. And go download uh, Thomas Road. It's just such great music. It's just been such a treat to have you with us. Uh, we would love for you to find us online on Instagram and Twitter, where we are at Media Path Pod, and on Facebook, where we are Media Path Podcasts. You can find full episodes with all kinds of bonus visual content on our YouTube channel, Media Path Podcast. I want to thank our guests, of course, Robin and John Barry, for being with us. Our team includes Dina Friedman, Francesco Demanda, Mosey Masenko, John Maddox, Bill Filipiak, and you. I am Louise Planker here with Fritz Coleman, and we will see you along the media path.